Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Today's scripture comes from the third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom... I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is one of those strange days that happen every once in a while in the church year. Uh, Friday was the 12th day of Christmas, which means yesterday, January 6th, was Epiphany, the day that we remember the wise men, the magi, visiting the baby Jesus, or the toddler Jesus, to be more correct. And today is officially the baptism of the Lord, Sunday. Somehow in three short days, Jesus went from baby to toddler to 30-year-old man. Calendar just works that way sometimes. Don't look at me. I don't make the calendar. But today we're focused on this very important event in the life of Jesus. Today we remember the 30-year-old Jesus, before his ministry had officially publicly begun, traveling from Nazareth in the north down to the Judean wilderness to hear the teaching of John the Baptist and to be baptized by him. As he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and then a voice from heaven spoke, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Soon the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting and preparation for what was to come and to battle temptation, which he overcame. We might ask, why did Jesus need to be baptized? What was it that made his baptism necessary? After all, he was and is the Son of God. And I want to suggest today that there's something about events like the birth, the baptism of Jesus that inevitably force us to acknowledge and to accept that we're talking about a mystery. 
the mystery of the way God interacts with this world and with each one of us, the ways that God is mysteriously working behind the scenes, the mysterious interplay of humanity and spirit. I was baptized between my junior and senior year of high school at a church camp up in the central mountains of Tennessee. It was a conservative church camp, to say the least, from a literalist, fundamentalist tradition. And yet that camp was deeply loving and deeply affirming of me. Ultimately, I could not embrace their fundamentalist theology, but through them in that place, I knew that God had embraced me. The night that I was baptized, it was a Sunday night. It was late at night. It was the first day of camp. I hadn't planned on being baptized that night. I had thought about it. I did think I was ready. I did want to be baptized at camp. I just didn't know that in that particular church tradition that they believed that if you died without being baptized, you wouldn't go to heaven, even if you were intending to do it. And so there was an urgency. As soon as you made the decision, you were heading to the water. So I did. On that Sunday night, I was asked, are you ready to be baptized? I said, oh yeah, thinking we would do it one day that week. Instead, I was told, go get your bathing suit and a towel and meet us down at the river. By, by this point, most of the other campers were snugly in their sneaking sleeping bags and bunk beds. But when I got to the river, I discovered that the whole camp had been uh, awoken and brought to the river. They were there for uh, my special moment. The river was cold. It was really cold. <laughs> but the sky was beautiful. It was crystal clear. You could see all of the stars. I stepped down into the river. The pastor named Alex advanced, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God? I said, I do. And he baptized me, dunking me down into the cold water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I distinctively remember as I came up out of the water thinking to myself, well, this changes everything. This changes everything. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea at that point that I would become a pastor and give my life to ministry. I had no idea. I just had this sense, God is doing something in this moment, and it matters. How that would unfold at that point was a mystery. And to be honest, it still is a bit of a mystery. We do have some theological understanding of the meaning of baptism and why it's important. Traditionally, in the United Methodist tradition, we assign four meanings to baptism. One, it's our initiation rite. It's how we become part of the church and the family of faith. Because it's water and we use water to clean things, it's obvious that it's meant as a cleansing, a washing away of our sinful nature. It also means that somehow in baptism, that part of us dies, our old sinful nature, and we are spiritually reborn. Remember Jesus said, you must be born again to spiritual rebirth. And like Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit, we believe we receive the Holy Spirit in baptism. But these clear explanations of what baptism is for and what it means 
hardly scratches the surface for why Jesus was baptism. Why did he, of all people, need to be baptized? He was already part of the faith community via his dedication at the temple and his circumcision. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. He didn't have sins to wash away. Obviously, Jesus didn't need a spiritual rebirth. And from his conception, if not from all of eternity, he certainly had the Holy Spirit. And so why? Why did Jesus, of all people, need baptism? The only answer we're given is the answer Jesus gave John the Baptist when John objected, saying, I should be the one baptized by you. Jesus said in Matthew 3.15, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Well, that's crystal clear, isn't it? Anybody want to come up and explain what that means? Let it be so. It's proper to fulfill all righteousness. That's a nice churchy thing to say. But what the heck does it mean? Frankly, nobody knows. It sounds like a lofty thing to say, but really to say it fulfills all righteousness is just simply a way of saying it's the right thing to do. It's spiritually the right thing to do. The best I think we can say about why Jesus was baptized was because he believed it was necessary. It was right for him and perhaps for us through him. But again, we return. We just have to acknowledge this is a spiritual mystery. In many churches, baptism is considered what we call a sacrament. In the United Methodist Church, we have two sacraments. Baptism, which is the beginning of our faith journey, and Holy Communion, which sustains us on that journey. Traditionally, a sacrament is defined as an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Think about that definition for a moment. An outward, visible sign of an inward, spiritual grace. In essence, we're saying that there's something here we can see, but there's more that we can't see. In baptism, obviously, water is the outward, invisible sign, but we know that invisibly God is claiming this person, this child, as God's own. There's a cleansing, a claiming, an anointing going on, unseen. Today is the Communion Sunday, and in a few moments we'll come for bread and juice, symbolizing Jesus' body and blood. Symbols we can see, touch, and taste. But we also believe there's a grace involved. Invisibly, we're being forgiven, we're being strengthened, we're being spiritually sustained. These are two official sacraments of the United Methodist Church. We do these two because Jesus specifically told us to. There are traditions that expand the number of sacraments to seven, as in the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, and the Orthodox Church. But even with our two sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion, they remind us that God is mysteriously present and working in this world sometimes in specific kind of tangible ways like the sacraments, but indeed in countless other material ways. In the Methodist tradition, we also refer to baptism and Holy Communion as means of grace. 
means means a, a, a vessel through, a, a vehicle, a channel through which God's grace is given. We include as means of grace Bible study, worship, prayer, service, fasting, Christian fellowship. And we believe fundamentally that it's God's grace that changes us. It's God's grace that changes everything. It's God's grace that forgives us and frees us and and, and grows us into who we're becoming. Our job in the means of grace is to participate willingly, eagerly, to be seekers, to, to put ourselves as available to what God wants to do through us as intentionally and frequently as we can. At the back of the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, there are a number of theological questions and answers, and I particularly like this statement about the sacraments. It says, God does not limit himself to these rites, the sacraments. They are patterns of countless ways by which God uses material things to reach out to us. Think about that for a moment. In this material world, through this material world, God is constantly reaching out to each of us. Our previous bishop, Ken Carter, once wrote, The temple of God's presence can be wherever we are. We will know it is of God if it changes us. That's the line right there. We will know this sacrament, this means of grace, this experience is of God if it changes us. Did Jesus' baptism change him? That may not be exactly the right word, but certainly it affirmed him, didn't it? It certainly launched the public phase of his ministry. Jesus himself said that it was the righteous thing to do. And clearly all of Jesus' life and ministry were about inviting change, spiritual change. Over and over, Jesus invited people like you and me to leave worldly paths of sin and selfishness and self-destruction and follow him down the narrow path of abundant, spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Life of abundance, life of meaning, life filled with relationship and purpose, participating in a community of justice, compassion, and love. Mysteriously, it's God that provides both the opportunities, but also the means for which and by which we are changed. For some, that spiritual change is instantaneous, sudden, unexpected, that moment at the altar rail. For most of us, it's more gradual. God works on us throughout our lives. Thank goodness God isn't done with us yet. But for all of us, how God works in our lives, changing us, growing us, making us, is undoubtedly, undeniably a mystery. I recall one day I was walking many, many years ago. I was walking from my car to my office, just sort of, casually conversing with God and out of the blue I just thought of the question I wonder what God wants me to work on what part of my life at this stage needs more growth and I heard in my head not audibly but clearly keep doing what you're doing your desire to grow is what matters leave the rest to me 
It reminds me of First Church's vision to seek and love God, to love and serve people, to seek, love, and serve. Somehow there's, there's a mystery here that as we seek, as we serve, as we love, that there is a grace given that remarkably changes us. Now, undeniably, sacraments, like all kinds of rituals, can be empty if we don't approach them with with intentionality. They they can be just another opportunity to kind of absent-mindedly go through the motions. Would anybody argue that there's certainly more to be gained when we do something with full and open hearts? But, Maybe even when we're just going through the motions, as we all do from time to time, God can use that too. Seems to me that God often works with less than God deserves, as he works through many of us, including myself. At the conclusion of Jesus' baptism is this remarkable line, Matthew 3.17, This is my Son. The beloved with whom I am well pleased. Now it seems like an obvious thing that God might say about his son. But think about this. As far as we know, at this point in Jesus' story, he hasn't really done anything that we know of. He hasn't done anything to earn or deserve God's love or God's praise. He hasn't accomplished anything that's recorded at least. No sermons, no miracles that we know about, no gathering crowds, no great successes. Up to this point, his life has been pretty much hidden away up in Nazareth. And yet, at his baptism, before anything was accomplished, God said, this is my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Friends, I think there's a clue there. God doesn't love us because of what we do. God doesn't love us because of how good we are, or doesn't stop loving us because of how bad we are. I happen to believe that at each one of our baptisms that there was a voice whispering, maybe, behind, maybe so low that nobody heard it. This too is my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. No exceptions. For grace to be grace, it must be free. It must be unearned. It must be undeserved. It must be freely given. That's just the mystery of it. It's just the mystery of God loving each and every one of us the same as he loves his only son. Henry Nouwen says, we all reflect God's love in different ways. Jesus reflected that love in one way. Each of us reflect it in another. And so today, as I said earlier, we are about to experience another of our sacraments, Holy Communion. In a moment, you'll eat bread, you'll drink a little bit of juice. But behind that little bit is an enormous mystery of God's love for each and every one of us. And all we have to do is come. All we have to do is receive. If you can, come with an open heart, an open mind, a soul, ready to receive. Come seeking. Come expecting. Come ready to be enveloped in a great mystery. And we'll let God do the rest.
Let's pray. And so God, we invite you this morning to meet us here at this altar. Open our hearts and minds and souls to receive all that you have to give us. Touch us. Change us. Create us and recreate us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.